They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, we check out some underutilized Legionnaires. Yeah, it's going to yeah. happen. Oh, and we other, we also meet the other superhero team in the galaxy. Yeah, they've been around for a while. First, yeah. uh, first appearance. Uh, let's find out what happens. Adventure Comics number 374, Mission Diabolical. Published November 1968. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Wynn Mortimer from Shooter Layouts. An interstellar gang war engulfs the entire Legion. So we have really two very different issues to look at this week, Matthew. First, yeah. Adventure Comics 374, Mission Diabolical. And have you ever heard of uh, Diabolique? Yeah. This is, a, what is it, an Italian comic mm-hmm. that about a super spy who goes undercover. Right. And he can mimic, like, anyone. He puts on these crazy masks and he looks like a whole yeah, bunch of different like people. Yeah, rubber masks. And he, it's kind of like James Bond, except a lot more stabby, and he has this cool black mask. I don't think I have ever read any Diabolique comic books, nor have I ever seen the movie, which I don't think it's based on the comic, or maybe it is, and it's just not really well done. I've only seen the movie in Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the one. Uh, but I wonder if the title of this week's issue didn't come from that mission diabolical where we find some of the legion members going undercover and taking (laughs) on the persona of other people gangsters y'all gangsters it's really interesting so i didn't i didn't know if there may be a a a diabolique kind of uh influence here i mean the series ran uh from i want to say 62 1962 Mm -hmm. so i don't know if jim shooter is able to get Italian comics in the United States, but well, we're six years in, and maybe something's floated his way. Danger Diabolique, the movie, came out in 68. Ah, hmm. It was released in 1968, January of 68, which means that since this is an issue that came out in November, it could be something that was, you know, in the metaphorical water for Jim. Yeah, it's it's very interesting whenever we look at... Especially the shooter era, because we don't see it so much with any of the other creators, because they're just like pulling stuff out of their out of their hats and, and figuring out what's going <laughs> on. It really feels like Jim Shooter, when he's writing these things, is tapping into shows that he's seen or movies that he's seen or something that he's doing at a science project at school at the time. And I, <laughs> it I feels like, like it. he wears his influences on his sleeve a lot more, which. I'm actually sort of fine with it. I feel like that's part of the reason that this is such a well-regarded Legion era Mm -hmm. is because it's something that, you know, it feels like, hey, you know, it would be great. What if we did X, Y, and Z? And, you know, only a 15-year-old kid could write it that way. So he did. Yeah. Uh, This is a very different Legion roll call because of the secret mission where we get uh, a splash page that has Ultra Boy and Element Lad and Dream Girl and Super Girl and Matter Eater Lad. And it reveals their real names and their current positions and their home planets and all these things. And we see this mysterious hand saying, I'm going to make them perform a mission diabolical. Dun, 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 I'm going to make them dun, perform dun. a, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to make them perform a mission Colon. diabolical. As opposed Colon, to, dun. I'm going to make them perform a mission diabolical. <laughs> or a diabolical mission. Yeah. It's the, it's the colon that makes all the difference. Yeah, I, it really does. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. This also starts out with a look at the Legion outside of their Legion duties on the set of a big major motion picture. Yeah. And it starts with the unusual pairing of Colossal Boy and Shrinking Violet, who metaphorically speaking in terms of, you know, powers and abilities make perfect sense as a team, but we almost never see them together. Right. And, you know, I mean, way this is... down the line, they, they play off of that big, small thing. Uh, we'll get to that in the seventies, but yeah, this is giant man and the wasp. Well, yeah, sort of, kind of, except it's Colossal Boy and the Shrinking Wasp. Right, 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 right. And, and of course, you know, it ends with them captured by some sort of weird uh, alien monster spitting, I don't know, 
caterpillar guts at them. Yeah, it's... the the special effects in this movie look really great. Wait a minute, that's not special effects. Someone has kidnapped us. Oh no! And then six more legionnaires. Yeah, are stolen when they're trying to uh, stop a robbery. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really fascinating is that it's not a low power team. You've got your star boy and you've got two founders and sun boy and you've got shadow lass and light lass. I mean, it's not, you know, a heavy hitter squadron. It's certainly not Superboy, boy, mon and ultra boy palling around, but those six heroes should be able to handle a whole lot of situations. Well, and I'm, I'm curious what this blinding light is that suddenly drained all their power because they're blinded and then their powers are gone. And then suddenly they're being shot in the head by these uh, flying uh, frogmen. You know what that is? What is that? That's uh, what you call your unobtainium. Is that what it is? Yeah, unobtainium. It has that power to do things. Yeah, so this is just a little MacGuffin thing. Oh, sure. And then, of course, we get the most fascinating thing of all, where the two Legion psychics are somehow forced to fight each other to their metaphorical doom, and it turns into a slugfest between Saturn Girl and Princess Projectra. They're like, oh, we're supposed to be here on our dates. Oh, our boys didn't show up. Why don't we go through the Tunnel of Love? Yeah. Okay, we'll go through the Tunnel of Love together. Oh, wait, now I hate you. But I really enjoy the fact that you get a flat-out punch fest out of Mm -hmm, this. Because mm -hmm. even in 68, even in the Legion, which you know, having more female characters can be a little bit more permissive with stuff like that, Having them just slug it out and knock each other out, essentially, in a fist fight, that still feels kind of progressive, especially, mm-hmm. you know, for DC at the time when, you know, even Supergirl wasn't allowed to fight male heroes very often. Oh, yeah. And then we see uh, Brainiac 5 and Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel uh, also get all taken out uh, down at the harbor. And then the heavy hitters also get taken out. By sp- 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 space pirates, or, or are they Zardoz? Because man, they're wearing, <laughs> wearing these little singlets. Or uh, they look like Sean Gunner. Yeah, they? they really. It's really uncomfortable, especially when, in that one panel where Karate Kid is punching one of them out, and it's like, oh boy, the gun is good. But I will say this is also the return of the um, manganium. <laughs> uh, I, I call it Mangina Interon Depot. Manganium inertron, which nothing can break through. Not even which. So, hmm. How do you mold it? How do you work with this manganium inertron? You know, it must be like adamantium. It must be liquid until it hardens, and once it hardens, it can no longer be worked with. Hmm. Can you remelt it? Can you remelt it? Not adamantium. Presumably, inertron would be difficult to melt. Since, you know, Superboy can't burn his way out with his laser blazer phaser vision. Well, he says, I can't even crack this wall. This wall so ha- this wall is so, uh, you know, I cannot understand this wall. I can't crack it. <laughs> How wall is it? Yeah. And then we get the remaining Legionnaires, which is, yes. uh, who do we got here? We got Colossal Boy. We got yeah. Matter Eater Lad. Ultra Boy. Ultra Boy. Matter Eater Dream Lad. Girl. Dream Matter Girl. Dream Girl. Element Lad. And Supergirl. Yes. And, and it's they, an interesting squad. Yeah, they go back to their headquarters, and there's a giant floating head. Yeah, they, they literally walk in, and Julie Schwartz says, I represent Scorpius. And they are now being captured. And if they do anything, all of their captured pals will be killed to death. Mm-hmm. So this underutilized squad, I don't think we've seen Matter Eater Lad in 15 issues, but this underutilized squad, including the team leader who somehow is still at this point, a little bit underutilized, all get teleported to the secret home of the Scorpius cartel. And And there they get to meet some pretty bad dudes. We get to meet uh, Rogarth, Mm -hmm. Black Mace, Mm -hmm. Mistelor, 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 Quanto, Flibbit, and my favorite, Shagrak. I'm I'm Shagrak. I'm Shagrak. Also, again, Matthew, uh, we also get to see Cobra Commander again (laughs) in his hood over the face. Or is it uh, the, um, what is it, the Monster Society or whatever the uh, Red Hood uh, Batman villain was before (laughs) Red Hood came about? 
He's the who's the Red Hood. Yeah, it is really weird to just that pops up, and those are the first two things that pop in my head. Once again, Cobra Commander, which we talked about in a previous episode, that Shooter had some involvement in, and then kind of a character that looks like an old Batman villain. The thing that I really love, though, about this is the Taurus gang is one guy with a name that means anything, and then guys who are just like, duh, what? My name is Hartblit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is Snarfblat of Planet Harf and Plibble. I'm Shagrath. I'm Shagrath. Shagrath, Shagrath is kind of creepy because he's got this uh, this mad love for Mistalore. Right. And Who she's just like, oh, my any- God, this thing is the creepiest guy ever. Get away from me. Get away from me. Get him away from me. And he's like, me, I love you, longtime lady. It's just awful. And then, of course, we get the wonderful sequence of these five weirdos getting trashed by five people in street clothes. Okay, so before <laughs> we get any further into this, yes. this issue, do you think Jim Shooter really wrote this issue? It, I got to tell you, this is not... Good. I mean, no, I, I, I was going to say just the opposite. I thought it was really good. This, the words in this, the structure and the wording of this issue is really, really different than what we've seen from Shooter before. Yeah. And this issue really feels like a different writer completely or that, you know, Shooter has been whipped by uh, Mort Weisinger so many times that he's just freaked out about trying something new uh, that this is this is what's going on because yeah, some of it is really weird and uncomfortable, like I said, with Shagrack going on, on to Mr. Lore about how much he's going to love her and take care of her. And she's just like, oh, creepy. He goes, yeah. Mr. Lore failed, 355. But Shagrack forgive. Nice, Mr. Lore. <laughs> Stop it. No, it's really creepy. It is. And the dialogue in this issue just feels really leaden to me. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that it's not Shooter. I would say that if we take it on face value that this is a mm-hmm. Jim Shooter story, a mm-hmm. Jim Shooter dialogue, mm-hmm. you have to realize that we're dealing with a very young writer who's still coming into their into their craft, and that you know he can vary wildly in how strong the issue comes together well, because the, there are some real stinkers as far as dialogue in this but issue. At the same time, we can go into the very next issue and it feels like Shooter again. Uh, this really, if you read all of the narration. Mm-hmm. All the, the narrator boxes in the old Ted Knight voice. The time, the 30th century, the place, Solar Studios. In and, a nearby storage building. Yeah, and then there's also soon in the uh, cerebrotechnic maze of stimuli chambers. Okay, and okay. It's just like, what? And this is just, I mean, I, I really don't know if Shooter wrote this. I think he did. Because, I mean, it has the makings of a Shooter story where we have some sort of contrivance to bring together the team that they specifically want. And it has that shooter thing of even Superboy, even Monel can be, you know, punked out for, you know, the point of this particular story. It feels shootery to me in terms of the focus on these weird hidden secret societies and this existing history that we've never seen before. You know, it feels like something of a piece with the other stories, but I do agree with you. It feels like there may be a heavier editing arm or maybe, you know, somebody else kind of co-plotting or something, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an odd issue. I I didn't hate it. I'll say that. I did not hate this because this is a done in one story. We get to see everything that happens. Uh, We get to see, you know, this vast underworld of criminal activity that's going on around the universe Mm-hmm. And then we get to see the legionnaires in some, you know, quote unquote, civilian costumes or disguise costumes. Right. Which I kind of like. Matter Eater Lad's uh, civilian yeah. clothes are yeah. actually better than his costume. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's so interesting to see this and how different it is. And we also inter- get introduced to the new head of the uh, science police. Mm-hmm. And... Hmm. hmm, new guy we've never met before. But he's clearly, you know, he's Chief Zoltoris of the Science Police, so he's clearly an authority figure. We should not question him. Same way with the head of the Scorpius gang, where he's like, ah, I'm not the one in charge. You've never met me. The big boss is out doing something else. You see? Yeah. And uh, we're just supposed to listen to this guy and believe everything he says. But then we get into, again, going back to 
uh, Diabolique, the um, Ultra Boy puts mm-hmm. on a, a real life mask and has to <laughs> imitate Black Mace right. so that when they do their big fight, a second fight where they meet up with these guys at a gambling casino in outer space, they start doing this big switch up where everybody kind of switches positions. And then we get even Dream Girl. Yep. We even get Dream Girl trading places with Mistalore, and she's on board, and, and Shagrath, uh, Shagrek is doing his thing again, and she's like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to like this guy? Am I not supposed to like this guy? Uh, this wasn't part of the plan. I would say no. It? And it gives us the wonderful thought balloon. Has Quanto seen something wrong with this wig I got from a female gambler and combed like <laughs> Mistalore's hair? Question <laughs> mark. Oh, that sentence is doing a lot of heavy lifting on the plot. Yeah, it's it's really I mean, it's mm. it's interesting. But then they then they go back to Earth in Metropolis and the you know, the they con the the gang into thinking that they are owed more money. So they have to go to the big boss and the big boss all in shadows, you know, just like these secret organizations have like on the tourist gang. And then when they turn the lights on them, oh, my gosh. R.J. Brand is the leader of this gang? What? No, it can't be. And then it the, must be some sort of lifelike rubber mask. Scorpius gang shows up, and then they've beaten the crap out of all the bad guys, and they're trying to get a hold of R.J. Brand, and when they pull off his rubber mask, and he says, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for you darn kids, we discover Zaltorus. Get it? His, la- his name is Zaltorus, and he's the l- leader of the Tauros gang. little different spelling there. Tauros like the uh, the donut, and Taurus like the bull. But I I was just waiting for Superboy to turn to the uh, the reader and said, I figured it out. Did you? Did you? Yeah, and we do get, and this is actually kind of wonderful, we get a return engagement from the subs, who we haven't seen in like 25 issues. The oh, subs yeah, last like three year in like 351. Yeah. But they come in and they save the day. Mm-hmm, because they're following the clues... Mm-hmm. Not the gang, which is what how the uh, Legionnaires got into it. I'm interested, though, at the fact that even under the Comics Code Authority, they got away with having an authority figure, the head of the science police, be a villain. That's the kind of thing that you know you weren't supposed to be able to do. You weren't supposed to cast aspersions on whether or not you know the police or authority figures were someone you well, could trust. Well, but that's if they were legitimate authority figures. In this case, because... Zaltorus is putting on uh, R.J. Brand's mask. Mm-hmm. Supergirl says, oh, I see. If I, if I recall, you were appointed to this position on Brand's recommendation. Ah, I get it now, right? Like, yeah. you impersonating Brand went in and got yourself appointed to the head of the science police. So he's yep. not a legitimate police officer. So I think in this case, the way they've written it out there... I think it kind of goes around that comic code authority. And we also don't see in the comic code authority, it's it's not supposed to be that um, you, you're not supposed to put police officers or people in authority in bad light. You're not supposed to show them doing criminal activities. And we really right. don't see him doing criminal activities here because he's having all of his underlings do it. Mm, I suppose. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. This issue also features an important first appearance. Oh, yeah. Leland McCauley. Oh, yeah. There's this uh, guy down on uh, Millionaire's Row, which apparently is where all the billionaires hang out, which I don't know why right. you'd call it Millionaire's Row. Well, if you line up millions enough, you get a billion. Oh, okay. You row, you put your millions in a row. It, it, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. But Leland McCauley, who is shown as the second richest man in the universe and, you know, never, ever, ever seems to give that up because for the next 25 years, Leland McCauley will be appearing as the guy who's really chafed to be the second richest man in the universe after R.J. Brand mm-hmm. and will constantly be trying to mess with R.J. Brand. Do you remember uh, the workforce Vaguely. from the Archie Legion? Vaguely. The workforce was actually run by a Leland McCauley. Ah, very cool. Something interesting yeah. to to learn. We also find out that this uh, lackey that is kind of like the um, liaison with the Legionnaires for the for the Scorpius gang, mm-hmm. he's actually the leader of the Scorpius gang. Yeah. And also, they say Scorps a lot in this issue. Yes. And I want to shove a pen in my eye well, I mean, every time they say Scorps. If there's something that would point to this being a shooter issue, Scorps. it's definitely the shortening of names, right? The Scorpius, the, uh, Scorpius group becomes Scorps. Uh, Ultra yeah. Boy becomes U-Boy. So, I mean, 
Just looking at that, you could say, oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely shooter stuff. Elad and K-Kid oh are going to save the day. I, there's, I, I hate that with a passion. Well, especially since they can't call anybody S-Boy because there's like five people. Yeah. Or M-Elad. <laughs> so here's another thing that I was curious about. Certainly we have the Scorpius gang and we also have Taurus. And so we're getting kind of a Zodiac kind of setup here. Yeah. But it's interesting that Zodiac becomes this, even though we don't see the rest, and I'm guessing maybe down the line we might see some more uh, Zodiac gangs. But this is also at the time when the Zodiac killer is out and about. Jim Shooter is living at this time where the Zodiac killer is going around in California, Mm -hmm. San Francisco, Northern California, although there's a lot of other... If you look at the suspected victims that the Zodiac Killer was involved with, right. uh, there's about, I want to say maybe another dozen listed here. But that would be really weird if that's also an influence in this. It's possible. Now, knowing what I do about Legion history, not only do we not see the other 10 gangs, we don't see either of these gangs again well, of for course a we don't 20 see, years. We don't see these gangs again because they've been taken down and dismantled from the inside. Oh, oh but have they? It, I don't know. I, I think there's, again, there's a lot of missed opportunities that we talk about mm. with the Legion of Superheroes, Superboy Planet, uh, the, the Nine Planets uh, Ice Cream Parlor. You know, those kinds of things they could have gone back to again and again and again. I really think that this Zodiac gang could have been a thing that that they could have done. Each one controls one of the 12 section sections of the of the galaxy or the universe or whatever scale that they're working on this week. And they're constantly at war trying to get more space. And they could have really split, uh, you know, created some really interesting Legion stories with this. Yeah, I can I can see that. But I mean, at this point, they're really, especially at DC, just starting to put the concept of that ongoing continuity together. Mm -hmm. And it won't be for another few years before it really starts becoming the continuity that people really love and that eventually ruins all the fun in the 1990s. (laughs) But. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, more of the Taurus gang or maybe having set up in issue 370 something about, hey, Mm -hmm. do you hear about the Taurus gang? Mm -hmm. No, what about the Taurus gang? Oh, they're a gang called Taurus. Yeah. So we already talked about the writing is very different in this issue. We also get a different artist in this issue. Yep. Wynn Mortimer actually started last issue with the debut of the Tornado Twins. But I didn't realize until now that he's apparently the new... Regular Legion penciler. Right, because uh, what is what is uh, Kurt Swan doing? He's over doing some more Superboy stuff, or is he retiring at this point? Oh, Swan's not retired yet. I want to say he's on Action Comics now. Okay. In 68. And that's going to be interesting because we're going to see, you know, maybe Swan saw the writing on the wall or somebody mentioned to him, hey, uh, Legion aren't going to be around in these adventure comics much longer. You might be wanting to be look at, uh, you might want to look somewhere else for some regular art duties. Mm, could be. But I got to say, this art is so very different and coupled with the v- very different writing on this. I don't know. There's something about it to me that seemed fresh. There's something about it that seems very different. Uh, the hairstyles are different. The clothing is different. Uh, yep. Supergirl looks totally different than what we've seen before. We're getting into that um, early 70s look for her. Yep. And I don't know. I really enjoyed the art in this issue, too. I think Wynn has a softer sort of feel to his pencils than Kurt Swan. And everybody feels a little less, you know, sharp chinned and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, heavy jawed. But it also feels like I think there's stronger facial expressions. Yes, that's what I was going to say, too. Especially in the female members. And you Mm -hmm. see this a lot throughout this issue with Dream Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Dream Girl and Supergirl both have just an amazing depth of expression, especially when Dream Girl is undercover mm-hmm. and freaked out and gross. There's a, on page 17, there's a panel where she's kind of looking nervous over her shoulder. Yeah, and you see Shadrach and, and Quanto. Yeah, it's amazing. It looks like something out of a romance comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really kind of love it. Yeah, it, the art is really good. And I, you're right, the, the softer features of the uh, female characters and just a little bit more... The characters seem a little bit more fluid, a little mm-hmm. bit more bendy than maybe what we've seen before. Yeah. I, I really kind of dig it. Uh, the other thing that we see is we see a villain becoming reformed. 
We see Quanto, who is at first doesn't want anything to do with Mistalore. But then when you've got somebody else in the position, he's like, hmm, there's something different about you, something better. Your aura is shining a little brighter. Huh. And then by the end of the issue, he's like, oh, wait, you're not Mr. Lore. And she's like, no, I'm sorry. And he's like, that's OK. I'm going to go find the real Mr. Lore and I'm going to work with her to make her as good as you. Which and, That's a little and, weird, too. But at the same time, there's this thing about, oh, no, I, I think that if she could be reformed and be more like you, she could actually be a really good person. Yeah. And then, of course, Dream Girl lets Quanto get away, which. Mm -hmm. Is a little less defensible. I mean, it feels uh, that also feels like a bit of a romance novel plot mm -hmm. or a romance comic plot, but I can uh, kind of accept it because Quanto never feels no, evil throughout feel this like, issue. He just feels yeah. like he's misplaced. Yeah, he and he even says it. He says, "I'm just here by my masters from another dimension, and I'm just doing what I'm told. That's all." Another dimension. Another dimension. Are you? I mean, we mentioned the substitute heroes coming in, but mm -hmm. is it weird that they really just show up for like? the last three panels and it just seems like this deus ex machina where they just come out of nowhere and save the day. That's kind of exactly what it is. And I think that the reason that happens is because we went to all the trouble of making sure that everybody was out of the running. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 20 legionnaires are off the board. Who's going to save the world? Who's going to save the day? Clearly it's the subs got to be the subs. Yeah. Did you like, so you didn't like this issue or you did like this issue? I didn't like it as much as I had hoped I would. I feel mm. like there's just, I don't know, something about it was off-putting to me. Yeah, I, can I liked see that. parts of the undercover stuff. I liked, you know, the art, but I feel like the dialogue, Legion fools, did you really think we would allow you to go free? Now you will all die. No, that's the like classic, that's classic Bond villain stuff. Nah, I felt like the dialogue was just way too heavy-handed and it kind of meandered for me, but you know, I didn't hate it. It's a Legion story, so it's kind of okay. I would I would really love to do some more research into this particular issue to find out if there was not a ghostwriter or something working on this. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. What's going on in the letters page? The letters page for Adventure Comics 374, mm -hmm. apparently, and I'm not sure if it's this is where it entirely comes from, but somebody picked up on something that may or may not have been happening in the story, and the letter column suggests that Duo Damsel give up on Superboy and end up with the character that they believe to be his, you know, polar opposite, not Polar Boy, but Bouncing Boy. And I'm thinking to myself, that is, you know, that's the first time I've really seen it. We're starting to see much more romance and much more focus on the interpersonal stuff. But mm -hmm. somebody all of a sudden was like, hey, Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel, you know, I don't think it's going to ruin anything for anybody to let you know that that totally does happen. Yeah. In fact, wasn't it when uh, Superboy went to the future? Weren't they already married? No, actually, they were not. Oh, who was uh, who, were, who was Chuck married to? I don't remember Chuck actually appearing in that future Legion story for very long. I want to say he had retired. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, that's right. He did retire. Yep. But it's interesting to me to see, you know, this may have come from Rand Lee of Roxbury, Connecticut and become a key piece of Legion lore going forward. Yep. It's going to be very interesting. There's another bit in the letters column that, uh, <laughs> Uh, dear editor, in adventure number 368, Bobby Hitchman mentioned that the superheroes' costumes covered almost their whole bodies. I agree. Couldn't the heroines' costumes be a little more, well, a little less? A reader from Redmond, California, and the editor responds to, Who are you thinking of? Saturn Girl? Take a look at Dream Girl, Shadow Lass, and Princess Projecta. If their outfits were much smaller, we might not get them past the comics code. <laughs> Yeah, a reader in Belmont, California, you should be ashamed of yourself, whoever and wherever you are. I, hmm, it's, I read that because I'm now getting in the habit of reading the Legion Outpost because there's all sorts of wacky stuff that you get in here. And because in another one, they're talking about um, the women's liberation movement in another one. They're like, this is really good that you guys are discussing these things. And then mm -hmm. suddenly it's just like, oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're but just, but hey, you know that. the a reader yeah is not wrong because all we have to do is go forward what another 10 years mm-hmm. and we get Saturn Girl's new costume that is the pl- the super, pleather bikini, yeah, that yeah. comes around, I think, in 1971 or 72, Yeah, actually. so I guess we're not too far away from that. And then certainly, shortly afterwards, we start seeing a lot of super heroine costumes get a lot more revealing over the years. And yeah, Shadow Lass ends up pretty much naked for the entirety of the 80s, 90s, and today. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of sad. Eh. How would you have responded? Uh, a reader, you should be ashamed of yourself. Love the editor. Actually, I would not have responded to that because I think I, what they were going for was kind of a tongue in cheek, funny thing, but it really did come across as a little creepy on both ends. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know that that's the response that, you know, in a modern context, you could get away with saying, Hey, if you like the naked girls, we got three of them right over here. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I would have. Resp- I, I probably would not have run this letter unless they're getting a lot of letters like this. Right. I probably would have responded. You know, I, I don't know how I responded. Something about. <laughs> Do you want to see your mother in less clothes? I don't know how. The, Ew. The, no. See exactly. You shouldn't be looking at the women in this comic book as some kind of sexual desire that they should be wearing less clothing. I mean, you don't see them sitting there going. Oh man, I need to see Chuck Tane in a speedo, or I need to see Matter Eater Lad in uh, you know smaller clothes. I mean, can we get him a tank top and a pair of short shorts? I, I just, I'm no one is writing in for that kind of stuff. Why allow it for the female readers? And this could have been a good learning point to readers to say, hey, not appropriate, not appropriate, guys. Come on, be better. Not okay. Adventure Comics number 375, King of the Legion. Published December 1968, written by Jim Shooter with art by Wynne Mortimer from Shooter Layouts, who are the Wanderers. Some weird structuring here in the way that we've done this show, Matthew, in that uh, we try to cover as many of the issues as possible. Certainly we skipped over, uh, or we will be skipping over, Uh, Superman 213, I think we've skipped over a Superboy issue that features the Legion briefly or really not, you know, a big thing that needs to be going on. Uh, But uh, 375, we're suddenly dumped into a two-part story again, which is going to be split up between this this episode and the next episode. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's great. But we also, this is the other cool thing about this issue. We get introduced to a new superhero team that we've never met before. <laughs> this is, I, w- I want to say they only appeared like two or three times during this time period and then get rebooted as a standalone series yeah, like in the 80s. years later. Yeah. yeah, in the 80s or 90s. I want to I see here. Um, 1987. Yeah, the, 1987 is when they came back. Yep. After the crisis on Infinite Earth. So why don't we talk... About the Wanderers. Oh, they're the hero team whose names are really bad. I mean, the issue opens up with these two lines of of heroes. Well, the heroes and then some unknown people we've never seen before. And they've got guns and swords and they they look kind of dangerous. And they're all approaching one another, crossing the Axis line and really causing some left-right confusion for the reader until they finally (laughs) approach the team. And they're just like, I hold out my sword in friendship. And then we are introduced to Celebrand... Psyche, Quantum Queen, Elvo. Psyche. You say Psyche? Yeah, I say Psyche. Elvo, uh, Dartlig. No. Dartalg. Dartalg. It's it's not a word that makes sense in English. Yeah. Dartalg. Yeah. Orinoco Flow and Immorto. <laughs> Ornitho. Oh, Orinoco Flow, like, sure. Like, like ornithology. Yeah, because he can turn into a bird, kind of like Hawkman, but he doesn't turn into a bird. You know what's fascinating, though, is what, we see this setup, uh-huh. and Celebrand, who for this uh, episode is played by uh, Will Ferrell in his bald uh, <laughs> gym teacher makeup, yeah. says, 
tell us about your powers. And Ornitho says, I have the power to turn into any other bird. And the rest of the team just like, hey, yeah, cool. And then we're, <laughs> we, we just cut away. We show this team of six people. And they're like, here we are. We're six people. And then one of them introduces himself. And we're like, oh, out of time. <laughs> it's frustrating, dude. Yeah. I can't help but notice there's a lot of X-Men stuff going on in this book, too. You ever notice that the uh, the Wanderer ship looks a lot like, especially as it's flying through this uh, nebula of gas, Did that it look? looks like the X Men's uh, black uh, black wing, whatever their sh- ship is called. Well, the X Men would not have the Blackbird until like nineteen seventy one or seventy. I know, but man, yeah. And what's really fascinating to me is we start this story and they're like, here are these wanderers and they're cool, great superheroes. We're like, okay, two of them introduce themselves. Then we're immediately into the plot and we don't even find out their names until like halfway through the issue. Yeah. When suddenly, because they find out that after they've gone through this uh, nebula gas, they're evil, they turn evil for up to two weeks. And so in two weeks, these superheroes could do anything. And so they have to be stopped. But before they can do that, there's some giant floaty hand that appears out of nowhere, scrubbing on the uh, manganeum. (laughs) It's actually the Infinity Gauntlet. I'm almost sure of it. (laughs) It certainly looks like it. And it scrapes out a message that says, I challenged the mightiest legionnaire to combat in a journey attorney of worlds on the last planet, which begs three important questions. Okay. Who's the mightiest legionnaire? Right. What in the world is the last planet? And how exactly did Thanos get to the DC universe to write this message in the first place with his infinity gauntlet? You know, there's a lot of secret crossovers that happen between Marvel and Eh, DC. That's true. I don't think this is one, but it's an interesting point nonetheless. And it leads the Legionnaires to a very teenage moment where they're all like, oh, well, clearly the mightiest among us must go. And they're all like, yep, I'm on my way. <laughs> Including like, Element Lad. Element Lad. Well, Element Lad's got a, a legitimate. I guess I can. He's got I can... A le- okay, you walk up to Element Lad and he's in a bad mood and he turns you into a gas and you are gone. It's not Element Lad that's the problem. It's bouncing boy being part of this tournament to dis- discern the mightiest legionnaire. That's the issue. And of course, chemical King and Timberwolf have to leap in to remind us that, Hey, we're part of the team now. Yeah. We're around. Don't forget us. Yeah. But unfortunately, before they can do that, they're interrupted by the new chief of the science police. Bert Reynolds. <laughs> no, I was going to say, uh, uh, what's his name? Butkus. Dick, Dick Butkus. <laughs> Dick Butkus. Yeah. Uh, he's he's definitely Burt Reynolds, though. He's got the Burt Reynolds mustache. No, Burt Reynolds has a much on. better mustache than that. But this guy he's definitely got his sunglasses Dick on. Butkus. And he's like, the Wanderers have stolen the seven stones of Galactus. <laughs> and uh, that's that's my. Uh, but he Burt does. Reynolds. Oh yeah, you got to work on that one. <laughs> well, I'm no Norm Macdonald. There you go. But it's interesting too that Supergirl, when they're like, "Okay, we're going to do a competition where we're going to find out who's the best," and Supergirl's mm-hmm. like. I'm not going to participate because I don't want to see my Brainiac get hurt. Right. I'd have to compete against my Brainiac. And that's not the only ship tease in this issue because we also see um, Saturn girl, Saturn girl talking to lightning lad. But then we see light Lass worried about Timberwolf mm. and shadow Lass for the first time evincing an interest in the whereabouts and well-wishing of Monel. Yeah. Monel and Shadow Lass and Timberwolf and Light Lass become long-lasting Legion romances down the line. Mm-hmm. But before all of that, we Do you have see to any see... of the guys going, "Oh man, I really don't want to punch, you know, Light Lass in the face." <laughs> well, there's only one woman in this uh, yeah, it's, uh, ridiculous round-robin tournament, and that's Saturn Girl. Oh, yeah. Cue, cue the Karate Kid music montage here. Sweep the leg! Sweep the leg, Chuck! Sweep the leg! Put him in a trans suit! Um, <laughs> that's the... Never mind. We'll get to that. That's a few issues down the line. Can I just say that the the brackets for this tournament make zero sense 
at okay, all. Okay, so we I got mean, Karate Kid, Ultra Boy, and Sun Boy taking on Quantum Queen. Right. Chemical King, Saturn Girl, and Chameleon Boy taking on uh, Orantho, or Orantho, Orinoco Flow, Superboy, Brainiac Five, and Timberwolf taking on Immorto Jones or Immorto Joe, and Bouncing Boy, Monel, and Element Lad taking on Dartlet. Dartalg, and then whoever wins those three-on-one <laughs> matches will then go on to fight Psyche or Elvo. And I'm like, this is so unfair to the Wanderers. I mean, this is literally a three-on-one battle. This is not fair. It's even more dumb because not only... Well, it doesn't really go three-on-one. It goes uh, three-on-one, then two-on-one, and then one-on-one. Yeah, but it also gives us the wonderful moment of Element Lad and Monel finding Dartalg and immediately trying to kill each other. Which is dumb. Mon literally draws back his invulnerable, super strong fist to punch Jan in the face. And I'm like, you're going to return. Literally, you would render his face into a fine red mist. But fortunately, Element Lad, whose powers now come from his eyes, which that's new. But anyway, Element Lad uses his newfound Element Eye Beams to poison Monel. I know they're to horrible death. to one another. And meanwhile, uh, what's his name? Uh, Quant? No, it's um, it, a Dart Hog. Dart Hog comes out and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna take these guys down with my poison darts." Oh wait, there's a fatty. He's all blown up like a balloon. I'll just use my weakest dart and pop him like a balloon. <laughs> at which point the dart just wedges in uh, Chuck's tummy and he punches Dartalg in a face and says, Hey, this isn't just all flab. It's all muscle muscle under it. Don't you forget it? Yeah, it's PVC, but <laughs> it is interesting to note that even here, they're having to go to great lengths to take everyone else out of the running in order for this story to take Bouncing Boy seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, that happens again and again and again. Every team ends up fighting with each other, no matter yep. who they're going after. And in some cases, it's just a stupid mistake. Like Brainiac's like, oh, I, I forgot that Evolvo, if he or e evil or whenever he uh, kills, dies, he comes right back to life. So, of course, the guy should have jumped off the building to his death because he would have escaped. But, right. uh, you know, Superboy and uh, uh, puts a stop to that. Yeah. But, but once they, they just keep going after each other. And I just find that not very becoming of Legionnaires. No. But very something that I something I would expect, but something that I would expect from a Jim Shooter story, I guess. And that's why when I'm comparing the previous issue with this one, totally different. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of idiot ball holding. And, you know, I have to say it. Shooter loves Karate Kid. So much so that he's not Kid, even used in this issue. Yeah, he is. Karate Kid punches out Ultra Oh, that's Boy, right. Right. Punches out Sun Boy, nearly kills two of his comrades, and then beats the snot out of uh, Quantum Queen, who, by the way, she is the only Wanderer we've ever seen before. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Quantum Queen was one of the dead heroes in the Hall of Fallen Legionnaires oh, okay. way back in the Adult Legion story in Adventure 354. Interesting. Yeah, so she makes a three-panel appearance here and gets uh, jacked in the face by Karate Kid, who is just no, a No, no, you're, uh, you're thinking of Nightman or whatever the guy with the sword is. No. Yeah, Quantum no, because it's, it's uh, Chuck that takes out Quantum Queen. No, not in the first round. Chuck takes out Psyche. Oh, okay. All right. Quantum Queen, uh, paradoxically, has a W on her shirt. See, that's why it's also confusing. Yeah, it is kind of confusing. In the because... end, though, we get down to, is it Superboy and Chuck, Bouncing Boy, going mm. after the leader. And he's got these, he's got these stones that, he's, that the, they've stolen. And put together, he can see the past, present, or future. And he's like, well, let me just see how this fight ends. And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to be uh, captured by Superboy. All right, I'll just go out the back door and uh, surrender to a Bouncing Boy. Mm -hmm. And so Bouncing Boy becomes the most powerful Legion member in the world. Forcing the others to rip off their chest symbols. For no reason. In humiliation. No reason. It's humiliation. No, you don't do that. Well, here's the thing. In the 1960s, the stories were often written backwards. 
So I will guarantee yeah, there's a cover. Yeah. that the cover, the image, the image of Bouncing Boy forcing his partners to rip off their symbols was given to Neil Adams to draw. And then they said to Shooter, write a story around this mess. Also worth noting, when they're ripping off their chess symbols, everybody's shirt rips open except for Saturn girls. I'm not saying that it should have. I'm just saying... It's noticeable. Yeah, let's let's go back to that uh, middle segment there, Matthew, where we talk about I didn't costumes say I revealing it. less is more. Hmm. I didn't say I wanted it to. I just said that the way it's drawn, it's really obvious. Have you have and, you heard? Let me ask you this: Have you heard stories? Because what happens? Chuck Chuck is whisked away, and we have to uh, come back next issue to find I, out what happens next episode dun, 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 for dun. for you listeners. But have you heard these stories? Of, I mean, we've kind of talked about Weisinger as kind of a not a tyrant. nice person, tyrant. Yeah. Have you heard stories that like Shooter was legitimately given psychological conditions because of Weisinger? That he would berate this kid so much that he would have like nervous fits and stuff and no, then turn I... around and pray and, you know, brag to everyone else about, hey, I got this kid that's writing great comics, but then call Shooter up on a Saturday night or something and just berate him to the point where he had like, I, I don't know if it was social anxiety or if it was like, Nervous talking, just nervousness talking to people because Weisinger would just berate him like that. Have you heard any of those stories? I have heard Jim Shooter refer obliquely to Weisinger as, and I'm quoting, mean as a snake at the best of times. Yeah. But I had not heard any, you know, anything specifically about, you know, more screaming him into, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. I mean... Can you imagine, though, being a teenager yeah, being 16 and 16-year-olds and having this old man call you up and yell at you? And berate you and just mm-hmm. freak out? Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be problematic. Yeah. Mm. I would point everybody, uh, Jim Shooter does have a website, jimshooter.com. Mm-hmm. And he will often reflect on a lot of um, his time writing comics, especially in the early days. And he does say in, in one of the posts uh, called Regrets, he does talk about Mort is, uh, what did you say, a snake on, on the best of days? Mean as a snake on the best of days, yeah. 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 I just was listening to an interview somewhere where someone was talking about how Mort was that way and really kind of gave Shooter a, a condition, which is just horrible. Horrible. And well, and you know, when you, when you think about it, if you look at, you know, not necessarily defending any of his positions either, but if you look at what Mort was responsible for, I mean... Mm-hmm. Mort was the editor over the Superman title. So a perception that you had to be a complete jerk because you're at the top of the top of your profession because you're handling Superman. At the Mm -hmm. time, Superman would have been, you know, the top seller, the top thing. I don't know. I mean, he, Mort Weisinger was always referred to, I know, as a micromanager. Yeah. And I know that he's always referred to as, you know, overbearing. And I have heard stories about him, you know, bad mouthing people and then turning around and saying, yeah, they're doing really great work. Just don't tell them about it. But yeah, here's, yeah, here's no. a, let me read for this quote. And so this is this is a quote uh, from Jim under the regret section. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where anytime I'd hear a phone ring, I'd clinch up white knuckled, very Pavlovian, even in school or some other place that was ostensibly safe. A ringing phone jolted me. Mort used to tell me I was his quote unquote charity case. He said that the only reason he kept me on was because my family would starve otherwise. By the way, Mort did call me at school once. They sent somebody down from the principal's office to bring me to the phone. Some uh, some question about a cover design, dot, dot, dot. The net effect of Mort's honking at me was slowing me down. I'd sit there for hours immobilized, useless, unproductive, because I was sure that anything I put on paper would be wrong, and therefore Mort would scream at me. My mother would uh, occasionally plead with me. She'd say, we really need a check. I started working my room, sitting on my bed to keep my lack of production more private. Every once in a while, she'd come upstairs and look at the blank page on my lap board and start crying. That was tough. She meant no harm, but it was tough. At some point, my fear of delivering work that Mort would rip me to shreds over was eclipsed by the fear of failing to deliver or delivering late, which would be worse. Then the stuff would flow. I could go like the wind. Oh, that's oh, horrible. Yeah, that is rough, man course i don't think anyone would be hiring a 15 16 year old today to write their comics see and that's the thing i mean on the one hand you have to look at why 
did he put this much effort into this kid? I mean, was he was he really trying to bring him up and have him, you know, be his protege? Or was it just that he could pay him a lot less than someone who was an established professional writer? There's a lot of questions you have to ask here, yeah. and I don't know that there are any answers. I would say it's partially probably could pay him less. Also because, hey, here's a kid that's hip with the other kids. And yeah. what was it up until an issue or so ago? Uh, the Legion continued to climb, 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 climb as far as success goes. So this was like a one-two combination. This would be the equivalent of having a Brian Michael Bendis come to your team to write Superman, right? It's just like, oh, yeah. this is a win-win for us. And I, I think that's probably why Mort put up with it. And also probably because he could pay the kid a little bit more. And it was probably somebody who wouldn't push back. Because it sounds like in this little bit that I read at JimShooter.com uh, that he was not... He would not push back, but I think that there were some other creators that Mort would work with that would give him the business back. Well, that just about wraps it up for another episode of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned that under the pen of Wynn Mortimer, Bouncing Boy looks remarkably like Ed McMahon. <laughs> I think we also learned that uh, Mort Weisinger, man, not a nice guy. And we learned that eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking, the bandit is immortal and is now a space cop. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and checking us out. If you have any questions, just drop us an email, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I certainly appreciate those of you who are Legion fans tweeting at me after you hear a show saying, oh, you guys didn't mention this, or oh, you should have mentioned that. Certainly appreciate that stuff. Uh, I can remember it more and longer if you will send me an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com because my Twitter timeline just fills right up, and it's going to get lost before we sit down and record another issue. But I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sending those thoughts, ideas, suggestions, corrections, and the etceteras. Love the etceteras. All right, Matthew, until next time when the Legion Clubhouse meets once again, I am Boy Lad King Man. And I'm Amy Man. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.